0: If you have been watching uh, the latest uh, rounds uh, concerning the uh, presidential politics, then you may be in wonderment like I am. It looks like it's down to two major candidates for the election. Uh, After all these many months, and it still is not going to be over until it's over. But one of the more interesting elements concerning this race Has to do with the way that people respond to these candidates. Some are happy as a lark on the one hand, if if it's their candidate, while others they respond in uh, total disgust. And as you know, many of these feelings they have resulted in violence in a lot of places because uh, people they demonstrate uh, their emotional. Uh, connection, or disgust, or dislike uh, towards these people uh, with this unrestrained passion. But you also know yourself that at the mention of one candidate or the other, that when you hear the name, that it may create a positive or negative response from you. This is the way it is, you know. Uh, This is the way it is Uh, when you have uh, intense and passionate concerns in regards to who will be the next president of these United States. So, today we're going to hear about a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus was not running for any office, and neither was Jesus trying to be a part of a popularity contest. Yet in all of that, the people of Jesus' day, they also had very intense and passionate emotional responses about him and, and all the stuff that he was talking about, In fact, if you yourself, much like the rest of the world, uh, you may have had a very similar response about Jesus. at One time or another in your life, uh, you may have said, I'm not sure because I'm not sure. I just want to leave him back there. Or you may have said, Jesus... Who cares about that Jesus? Don't talk to me about Jesus. You may have had a negative or positive response concerning him. So today I want you to walk with me simply as we hear Jesus call a spade a spade. As he deals with people whose motives are not on the up and up, but yet they have a very intense and passionately emotional uh, outward expression about who Jesus is. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And here we find out in this parable of Jesus... That Jesus speaks an old message to a new audience. Jesus speaks an old message to a new audience. Verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. Well, here understand that Jesus is now facing down Israel again. As Jesus begins this parable, I want you to know that again God is facing down his people. The nation of Israel has been in a steady process of rejecting Jesus as their Christ or as their Messiah or as their anointed one. We saw during the last message that Jesus had announced coming judgment to those who failed to produce the fruit of serving Christ. We saw that In Mark chapter 11, verse 12 and 14 and onward. And then we saw one of his reasonings for uh, this prophetic object lesson of judgment in the Jews' treatment of God's house of prayer as a fin of thieves or robbers. And finally over there, we learned about the necessity of God's people to be people of prayer. As we too... May face opposition from those who reject the words of Jesus Christ. So the nation of Israel was in a tough place because either they had to decide to follow Jesus Christ or they had to follow the leaders of that nation who operated outside the will of God. Who are you going to choose? As a result of Israel's steady but gradual pace of rebuffing Jesus, he speaks this parable here in chapter 12. Now as I uh, kind of alluded to earlier, uh, Jesus' parable here in Mark 12, it parallels what Isaiah the prophet said as he warned God's people in Isaiah chapter 5. Please turn there. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1, beginning there, in purpose and in force. So the idea of this parable, so I'm setting all this up for you. The idea of this parable really found its foundation back in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Here are just a a, a few verses. Isaiah 5, verse 1. And the prophet, he sings. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyards. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Isaiah prophesied to Judah and Jerusalem as he passed judgment on them according to God's words. So if you're not familiar with that history of Israel, know that the nation had committed uh, some very serious infractions against the Lord uh, by rejecting him and turning to false gods and false teachings. As a result of that promised land, we, we know about the promised land and, and Israel uh, trying to get to the promised land. Well, they had finally made it into the promised land and now uh, they were disobedient towards God and now uh, the word of the prophet came to them and telling them that you are going to be in trouble. Listen how you're acting before the Lord that you say that you love so much. You're acting like a bunch of fools you acting like you don't have any sense. You're not acting like you're part of God's family. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, your kids sometime? Have you ever thought your kids, you know, I'm not sure if that kid is really mine because they don't act the way I act. They don't act like the way our family should act. God sometimes look at us and say, uh, they don't act like they're part of my family. Because if they were a part of my family, they would not reject me. So in response to Israel's disobedience, that promised land was ripped from up under their feet as they all went into captivity into those foreign lands. And most of you know who they were. those foreign lands were Assyria and Babylon. And remember, uh, before they were in, in, in the promised land, in the land of Canaan, in the land of milk and honey, that they lived uh, for a period of time in slavery in Egypt. And they cried out to the Lord, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, until finally their cries, their prayers to God had finally, uh, God had finally decided to bring them deliverance. took them hundreds of years. But that lets you to know that if you're crying out to God for something, don't you stop praying. You keep knocking on heaven gates until God answers you. So here in Isaiah chapter five verse one, the vineyard is the promised land. The vineyard in Isaiah chapter five verse one is the promised land that God had assured his people He would faithfully deliver them to once He delivered them out of Egypt. Again, it's important to note that God promised a place, but He never gave the location ahead of time. I want you to understand that very biblical principle that sometimes God calls you to do something and you may not know all the details that He's called you to do. Did you know that? You can't expect to pray to God and Him give you an answer and Him give you everything that you need to know. Sometimes you really gonna not know where you're going. God simply wants you to do what? To follow Him. You may not know exactly where you're going. You just have to believe God that He says that He's going to deliver you and He's going to take you from point A all the way to point B. And it is that we find our hope. And it is that place that we find our confidence. And that is faith in God. Because faith is the substance, come on, of things hoped for. The evidence of what? Things not seen. So if you see it, you don't have faith. If it's right before you, you don't need faith. Faith is believing God that he's going to answer according to his will, according to things that you can't even see yet. So believe God. What's stopping you today from obeying God? So here in Isaiah 5, uh, God, he dug it up, the land, he cleared it of stones, and better yet, he cleared the land of all the nations that were corrupt in God's eyes. I know many of you probably have always wondered, uh, why was there so much violence in the Old Testament? Why did God allow Israel to go and start killing all these other nations up? Why did he displace these nations that were already there? Well, you see, in the eyes of God, he had already brought judgment on those lands. What? What? God had allowed many hundreds and hundreds of years for those lands to repent and they never repented. Did you know that in the land of Canaan, that in essence, that they would sacrifice their live babies to their idols? They would kill their babies in order uh, to make sure life would be easier for them. Huh. Huh. Think about that for a moment. They would kill their babies to make sure life was easy for them by sacrificing them to their gods. Think about that for a moment. So God, he finally brought judgment to all those nations that were in the land of Canaan. And what did he do? He replaced it with choice Vines of Israel. So Israel, uh, they were his choice vines. Now, uh, you, you already know that it's now gardening season. And, and one of the things that we do, uh, I call, uh, like I'm a, a big time farmer, right? But one of the things that you do, for instance, I just planted uh, about a week ago, I planted a couple of uh, a squash plants, right? And what you do is that uh, when you plant the seed in the ground, you don't just plant one right? Oftentimes in the hole, you put multiple down there. And and Sister Angie, she's going to correct me if I get it wrong somewhere down the line, but correct me later. Amen, right? So you put multiple seed in the same hole. And then as they begin to grow, then you select which one is the strongest. And the one that's the weakest, in essence, you take it out so the one that's already shown that it's the strongest that it can go ahead and flourish. So here God has selected his choice vine. Now they weren't choice because of who they were. They were the choice vine of God because of who God had in what God had imputed to them in some sense. Because God has said, now that these are my people, because God made that declaration, automatically they became God's choice vines. So the Lord, He built a watchtower, He guarded it, and even prepared a, a wine vat, signifying that they would produce fruit according to righteousness. And then, but the final analysis there was that. Instead of them producing good grapes, it said it produced what? Wild grapes. But I want you to understand this right here, that in the original text, the original text tells us you can translate it as wild grapes, but these wild grapes, believe it or not, they were foul-smelling. So one way to translate that is not only as wild grapes, but you can translate them as stinking grapes. Those stinking grapes. So God had planted his choice vine, and then when it began to produce fruit, that it was not the good grapes that he had expected, that what happened was it was stinking grapes. You know, the scripture says that we pray, O Lord, that our prayers and our life may be a sweet-smelling aroma to your nose. To God's nostrils here uh, that uh, when he would look upon the grapes that he could smell them and he know that they smell bad. What about your Christian life? When God looks at you in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, what does he smell? Does he smell good grapes? Concord grapes? Does he smell the green grapes, the sweetness, the aroma? Does he smell grapes that smell like uh, that they had been on a vine like for a hundred years that they were rotten to the core? What does God smell when He look at your life? So now in this parable, back to Mark chapter 12, Jesus again targets people about their faithfulness or their lack of, of faithfulness to Himself. And God has not forgotten His people and has so desperately wanted them to turn towards Him again. Again, we see that when Jesus Christ comes, God is pleading with the people, come to Me. How many times has God pleaded with you? Come to Me. Return to Me. When will you return to Me? This repeated attempt to call people back to himself was because of God's unfailing love God's such his enduring mercy kilaula Hesto that lasts forever and ever God had uh, and has that love for his people and God has that love for you as well. So now we see that the world rejects reacts to Jesus by eliminating his messengers. The world reacts to Jesus by eliminating his messengers. Mark chapter 12. Again, let's start reading in verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another. And him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. You know, God is uh, the master planner who plans and he expects Abundance from his people. God expects abundance from your life. I keep asking the question what's coming from you? What kind of fruit is coming from your life? Is it good or is it stinking? Or as some of you may say, is it stanking fruit? Jesus says, A man planted a vineyard, uh, began all of his Operations and then he leased out uh, uh, the land to the tenants to manage it while he went to another country. The man in this parable, it is clearly, if you don't see it, it is clearly God the Father. As in the prophetic parable of Isaiah 5, the man made all the necessary preparations for the ones. Uh, that would have stewardship. So the man, he came, he oversaw, he made sure everything is right because he knew that he was going to lease that land out to others. And as tenants, uh, they would have uh, primary responsibilities over the land. And here's a principle I want you to get. Here's a principle I want you to get. I want you to hear this and write it down if you need to. Treat whatever you have been entrusted with as if it belongs to you. Treat whatever you have been entrusted with as though it belonged to you. So if you're part of a business, you act like that's your business. Right? You act like that was your baby. And I know you may not like the, the place where you work you may not like this or that, but God, I think God is calling all of us to be faithful. Amen? He's calling us to be faithful where we are. You know, uh, some of us, the reason that we can't make it to that next place that we're trying to go is because you haven't been faithful at the place where which you currently are. Well, God, I don't know why God doesn't do X, Y, and Z. Well, because every time you go to work, all you do is talk about folks. Every time you go to work, you're half-stepping. You're working slow. You're not working hard. And this goes for not only people at work, it goes for whether you are in school or not. God calls us to to treat all the things that we have, uh, that we have been given responsibility over, as if they belong to us. Will you remember that? Will you remember that? We must, we absolutely must remember that. So here in this parable for the Jews, their primary responsibility was to be spiritually and ethically pure, walk in obedience toward God and treat others with respect, fairness, and compassion. Now if you've been keeping track of how the gospel story is unfolding in the gospel of Mark, then you know that this was Uh, not the lifestyle of the major players in the Jewish community concerning its leaders. The major players that, in essence, that they were not spiritually and ethically pure. that they did not always walk in obedience towards God. They did not always treat people with respect, fairness, or compassion. That they were hard. That they were very difficult on those folks. You know that its leaders who represent the people, however... They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They, much like their forefathers, that they had contempt for the God God that they said that they they served. Recall again here in Mark chapter 11, verse 15, uh, the story about the money changers and those who sold sacrifices at a premium price there inside of the court of the house of God. So one thing we must not miss either is that the man in this story cares about his work, and this is why he places a fence about around it. The, the man who was the owner, that he cared very deeply about his vineyard. Do you, you believe that? Why else would you put a fence around your stuff? I got a fence around my garden, right? It's only like 20 by 15. I'll tell you, them rabbits and squirrels and everything else in between, You know, you you try to keep them out, and then bugs, they try to come from underneath. Everybody's trying to attack the garden. I care about the garden, therefore I put not only a physical wire fence around it, but I also put a liquid fence around it as well. If you want to know where that is, ask me later. So a a person who cares about what they build, they try to protect it. And this owner, he did the same thing. So what happens next? What happens next? Jesus then explains in the parable that the owner of the vineyard, that he sends a series of servants to the tenants to collect some of the produce from the vineyard because it was now season. That it was time. Right? When it's time for the plant or the tree to produce full and mature and luscious fruits, it's time to pick it. And the owner knew this. So he said, let me just send my servants in order to go and collect what rightfully belongs to me anyway. But notice what the text says in verse 2. When the season came, he, went, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them all of the fruit. What does it say? Let's try that again. Uh, does it say all of the fruit that we're trying to, the owner was trying to get? It says some. So, what does that tell us? That tells us that the owner sounds like a very fair, fair man, that he took some himself, and then what did he do with the rest? Come on, what did he do with the rest? Right, he shared it with the tenants that he gave the rest to the tenants. So it wasn't like that he was taking everything, but he gave the rest to the tenants. This parable is unlike the story of the fig tree because the seasons of the vineyard had fully come. So the issue as to whether or not there would be fruit was not the focal point because it was not the problem. In this case, the plants did everything they were supposed to do and was ready to be received by their owner. And you know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we are the problem. Other times, people and spirits outside of us are the problems trying to prevent you from walking in the fullness of God. So now, these tenants were trying to prevent the owner from getting what rightfully belonged to him. In this parable, we see an increasingly hostile attitude of the tenants towards the owner. Uh, First, the owner sends one servant. They beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And then verse 4, the owner sent another servant whom they struck on the head and treated him shamefully. When I began to think about what did it mean uh, to treat someone shamefully, uh, of course, we don't know this with the text, but possibly they could have shaved his beard off. Possibly they could have cut part of his hair. They could have ripped his clothes and just created a a, a shambles of his life. His rights, however, whichever ones are in sight, uh, they were denied as an ordinary human being deserve a basic level of respect. Amen? So even the person that you know, you don't like what they're saying, uh, we still have to learn to give a certain people a level of respect because everybody was what everybody was created in the image of God you may not like what they're saying but at least respect that person but these tenants they didn't care they knew they were on leased land they knew that that land didn't belong to them but yet they escalated the situation so here in verse 5 the next servant the owner sins was killed And even after that, more were sent with a message to the tenants. In fact, Scripture says, many others were sent. I need to pause here for a second. Because if you are anything like me, you may be asking yourself this question. Why didn't the owner do something after the first meeting? better yet after the first killing if you were the owner of that property how would you have responded man I, I, I got to tell you if that was me like the very first time then it would have been a riot fest I, I'll be honest with you the very first time I sent the first person they came back to oh he he just you know he beat me and sent me back and I don't have nothing I would say really I, I go crazy right my eyes would get out. i be like, really? They sent you back empty-handed, and they beat you? I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, uh, let's get the whole army, right? I get the whole army, right? But not just a couple of people. Let's get the whole army, and let's go, and let's get those suckers. I'm going to get that sucker. That's what I would say. How would you have responded? The servants in this parable are the prophets whom God sent one after another to God's people in order to get them right. Have you ever had a warning from a boss, a teacher, or a judge about a problem that you were having in your life? You can either take the warning and straighten up and fly right or suffer the consequences. I've told you before that, you know, one of the things my mother, she used to always tell me, you know, when I got in that, you know, I think I know everything age, right? She used to always tell me, she said, David, you just don't believe that fat meat is greasy, do you? You, you just uh you, you don't believe nothing I say, do you? She used to always say that, you don't believe fat meat is greasy. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know fat meat is greasy, so what you talking about, right? I'm just, you know, in my own office. You just look at me, you know, and have a few choice words, you know. So we know God is very patient and kind, and he desires us to be reconciled back to himself. How long has the Lord been waiting on you to get it right? How long will you continue to wait before you finally, totally, entirely give yourself in obedience to the Lord. But you, you got to hear this though. Matthew 23, verse 29. Matthew 23, verse 29. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, uh, any time that God or Jesus. Uh, he says, woe, you know, the person that he's saying woe to, that they are in really, like really, really big trouble. Anytime a statement by God begins with the with the word woe, understand that whoever that statement is for, they are in really, really, really big trouble. He says here, woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous jesus tells them they rejected the message of the prophets whom their ancestors had killed and then built monuments supporting the violent removal of god's prophets so they killed the prophets and then they built monuments and say let's celebrate the prophets They honored the death of the prophets by supporting those who wanted them gone. This is not an honor if you didn't catch this. Let's read on here. Matthew 23, verse 30. Jesus says, the Jewish leaders have said, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus, he says, you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. So, what Jesus was telling them, that you had begun this killing spree against God's servants, he said, you might as well just finish up. But yet, he continues to be merciful. So the world reacts to Jesus by trying to eliminate him. uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 6 now. Mark chapter 12, verse 6. Remember he had sent all of his servants. uh, Some they beat, some they killed. And now verse 6 it says, "He He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. See this the owner sends his son once and for all to end all the madness, but the world sees it differently. God sends his son that says, I'm going to rescue you, that I'm going to deliver you, receive my help. The owner sends his son expecting them to respect and honor him. Remember again that the owner, what did the owner want? What did the owner want? He wanted what rightfully belonged to him. Why would they not honor the son who was just doing the owner's bidding as well? So up to this point, there are a few things which don't sit right with the reality of our world. Number one, but we already know that we would not have allowed this to go on as long as it did. And then number two, never, ever, ever at any and for any reason would we have ever sent our own son. How many of you, if there was something going down in the neighborhood, uh, that you would send a neighbor down there, and they come back all beaten up, and then you send another neighbor down there, some come back killed. How many of you would send your child down there? So the the the, the, the uh, tenants decided to again flex their muscles and kill the son. But look at this, again, very interesting. Up until, uh, until verse 7, we never hear the tenants speak. But here in this parable in verse 7, now the tenants, they speak, they say, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Now they talk to one another. Now they decide to come together and make a cohesive plan to go after the son because they figure if we can kill the son, and then finally it will all be ours. And in my mind I'm thinking, what did they think that the owner was doing back in the land? Did they think that he really, really didn't care, or was just too afraid to go? So God, he finally responds, and He will respond to this world as well. Oh, He will respond to this world. Yeah, conversation that I heard yesterday was that, well, you know, uh, understand. Well, uh, my pastor told me that. Uh, when I read the Bible whatever I get out of it is good so I'm good to go so you may get something different out of it and I may get something different out of it and you may get something different out of it I'm like yeah but I told him I said but at the end of the day if you don't get the right thing out of it you're still going to hell here we go verse 9 what will the owner of the vineyard do He will come and destroy the tenants and do what? Give the vineyards to others. Have you not read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. When the patience of God runs out, who will you then turn to? When God finally gets tired of your mess, who are you going to turn to then? Who you got? You're going to turn to the devil? You think the devil going to help you? He's going to be in hell with you, just in this case you're wondering, the lake of fire. God will only take so much of your mess. In Mark's gospel, Jesus asked the question What will the owner of the vineyard do? If you can imagine what the people were thinking when Jesus asked this question, would give you tremendous insight in Matthew. As a matter of fact, uh, they answer that question. Matthew chapter 21 verse 41. So here in Matthew, uh, these people they answer the question. In Mark, they don't answer the question. There's a reason for that. Jesus answers it in Mark, but here we see that the tenants or the uh, uh, the, the, the tenants here or whoever is listening to the story that they responded, and this is what they said: Matthew 21 verse 41. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Annoyingly, they were bringing judgment on themselves. Listen, however, to another of Jesus' response from Matthew concerning the people who stand in the tradition of those who persecute and kill the people that God sends. Now, uh, again in Matthew uh, chapter 23 verse 33 Matthew 23 verse 33 you serpents you brood of vipers how are you to escape being sentenced to hell how will you escape God's sentence when his patience runs out on you how are you going to get away So responding to God when his message hits home. So what are you going to do? You've heard all this. What are you going to do? Mark chapter 12, verse 12. Final final verse here. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. I tell you, one of the things that I don't want to grow accustomed to because it's not always pleasant is this. It's It's just one of those things, right? Because I'm human. That when I hear sometimes that people tell me that I'm leaving the church because you're talking about me over the pulpit. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Right? I've, I've, I've gone through that many times. Have I explained to you before? I don't know what you're going through. God, he knows that oftentimes it responds that uh, we have a choice. Either we can accept what God is saying and bring correction to our life, or we can do what? Get up and go. The Jewish leaders finally realized Jesus talked about them and since they couldn't arrest him, they went away. Therefore, understand the point of this last verse. When you hear God's word and it points to a matter in your heart, know that God is speaking to you. Don't run. Do not run. When you hear him speak, he is trying to bring alignment in your life According to his will, learn to embrace and not reject the work of God. So I tell you that if God is, if he's still speaking to you, consider it a privilege. Because God could not be speaking to you. And if God is not speaking to you, you just might not be in trouble. You, you just might be in trouble. You could be living in disobedience. They reject Jesus because you deny him and his teachings means that you accept false teachings. This is exactly what happened to Israel. They denied the Lord and the preachers he sent to bring them back to himself. Because there were other voices that was chiming into their life and that they end up listening to and not listening to God. So how will you respond to God's voice today? Many people have been sent to deliver a message of Jesus to you to me and not just about salvation but maybe about other issues in your life you have may you may have heard it over and over again you you may have said things like you know what I heard I heard the same message over here and then I heard it again over here where the reason that you're hearing it in multiple places is because God is trying to get through your thick skull what are you going to do with what you heard today What will you do? You know what the world does. They want to kill Jesus. They want to stop his his message. We saw that with the parable. But what are you going to do with what you heard today? Let's pray.